everyone, welcome. Lexis Donicky here, Manager IQ's CEO and founder. We're excited to be running a manager interview series where we can showcase managers, help learn from each other so that we can grow in our confidence and capability. Today, we've got Sarah Cordner joining us, who's had a raft of different experiences in multiple different industries from aviation, legal, and also professional services. Sarah is also a professional coach and has even written her own book, which is called Surviving to Thriving, a woman's guide to success and self-leadership in the workplace. I'm so excited for this conversation today, Sarah a bit of a high level, I guess, overview of your career to date. It's um, a lot more in depth than um, than that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your career and some of the highlights? Sure. Uh, so when I left school, I did a commerce degree at Melbourne Uni. Back in the day, accounting was pretty much what we all did. Um, I had my first job in one, what was one of the big eight uh, back then, professional uh, services firms or accounting firms, uh, as, a, uh, inter- as, as an external auditor. It was about 30 of us, so we had very big intakes back then as well. Um, I soon learned uh, that that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So about 18 months into the journey, uh, I had mentioned to a friend that I was not quite sure about my, my next step. And he mentioned that there was an internal audit job going at Australian Airlines, which back then was one of the domestic airlines in Australia along with, with ANSET. Mm-hmm. Um, and he suggested that I apply. So I applied and I got the role. So. My first lesson there, I suppose, was the the benefit of the internal of your of your network. So mm-hmm. there was no LinkedIn back then. It was all you know ads in newspapers. So I really uh, I started to realise the benefit of having a network. Um, I I started off in the internal audit department of Australian Airlines. Loved that. Did a whole lot of wonderful stuff. Did a lot of travel. That's where my uh, love of travel started. Uh, and then an opportunity came up in the flight scheduling area, domestic flight schedule, something completely different. And I thought, hmm, okay, that sounds really interesting. And I took a role, I actually got a role in the flight scheduling, domestic flight scheduling area. And it was more of a business analyst role. um, And it was quite new and and exciting. But that's when my first sort of supervisory role came up. I actually had to supervise three guys older than I was, who had a lot more experience than I did in aviation and flight scheduling. And that was that was very daunting. But I can talk a bit more about that. (laughs) coming up um work my way through that then a, then a, a job actually came up physically flight scheduling so i was responsible for what was called capacity management which was short-term capacity changes to make sure that we were as efficient as we could be in terms of what we were flying around the network so upgrades downgrades that type of thing loved all that then what happened was Qantas actually um acquired Australian Airlines. So Qantas was based in Sydney, so I had a choice to either leave the airline industry altogether or go to Sydney as part of the Qantas <laughs> team. And I was of an age, I had no, no, you know, no incumbents, no sort of nothing holding me back. So a few of us actually went up to Sydney uh, and started a whole new life up there. Absolute fabulous, great opportunity. I ended up then going for a role in yield management, which you know, I'd, I'd scheduled flights and now I was actually making sure that the, the fares on the flights, we're filling the flights with the right fares. Um, and I ended up um, looking after a team of, I think it was about 10 flight analysts who all had their own particular flights that they were responsible for. Um, and I, before I left, I ended up actually running the Melbourne-Sydney route, which is effectively the busiest route mm-hmm. in the network and second most profitable in the world in terms of, or was back in the day when we were flying. 
because um, it's all a lot of it's business uh, fears. Mm -hmm. So very high profile within the the aviation world and also within Qantas. Um, right on my ten year anniversary, um, I I and about three others who are all in the same sort of role got called into a room and said, "Your job's gone, gone, oh, wow. redundant." Had absolutely no idea it was coming. I was offered a role to stay, and this is when the second sort of I suppose life lesson or professional lesson. <laughs> Was yeah. I thought I've got a, I've got two opportunities here. I can either stay or I can go, and I took a risk. I took the risk, calculated risk, and I left. And that's when I started my second career, which is in e-discovery. Yeah. And I learnt my third lesson there in that just because I had an aviation background um, and went, there's no other options here for me. Ansett was the only other option. Ansett went under. 20 years ago yesterday to the day, so I'm glad I didn't go with ANSET, um, although a couple of my colleagues did, was that my skills were transferable. Mm -hmm. So I actually looked at what I had. I had people management, project management, stakeholder management, attention to detail, deadline driven, all that wonderful stuff. And I went for a job at in, in the newspaper, again, no LinkedIn back then, no Seek, with a law firm. Mm -hmm. Had no idea about law firms whatsoever. Never, I'd done three subjects at uni, you know, commercial law and business law and a few other things. And the um, the manager there that interviewed me took a punt on me, big punt, mm -hmm. and I haven't looked back. So uh -huh. uh, I started my role as uh, an e-discovery manager in, in an environment that was quite alien to me and, and the work was mm -hmm. quite foreign. But again, I took the skills that I'd learned at Qantas and I applied them in the new environment. So... Um, I then did a number of, of roles and, and sort of moved up the scale. So Minter Ellison was my first um, e-discovery role. I then transferred back to Melbourne at that point and I'd met my husband. So we, we were about to be married, came back to Melbourne, got a similar role, role in the Melbourne office. From there went to Mallison's. Kingwood, mm -hmm. uh, it was Mallison, Stephen Jakes back then. Um, very big department, lots of casuals, uh, lots of work, really, really, really frantically busy. Uh, had a lot of insight then into technology that goes with e-discovery, so that's where I first got a taste of the technology mm. side of it. I had my daughter while I was uh, at Mallee's. Uh, she's now almost 20. Um, I then I did about four years at Mallison's and time to move. I went into a slightly different role. I was uh, a national operations manager in a bureau that serviced law firms with e-discovery. So again, a bit yeah. of a different focus, far more supervisory, far more sort of uh, hands-off, bigger picture. Um, and again, that was that was really exciting. Then I got headhunted to go to Deloitte. They just That's opened great. up a very big um, ringtail, which was one of the technologies that we used in the e-discovery world uh, that was servicing the US. So I actually was responsible for the team that serviced the US. So again, another string to the bow there was dealing with global global organisation, you know, whole new world. Um, was at Deloitte about four years. Then as a group, there was a few of us that actually left and we went to Ernst & Young, which is where I obviously met you, Lex. Um, had six fantastic years at Ernst & Young. Um, mm -hmm. Got myself involved in um, computer forensics investigations, which was obviously sort of a, a bolt onto what I had done in e-discovery. Again, managing teams of um, consultants, senior consultants and managers, Big, very big projects, very high-profile projects, mm. uh, one which was interstate for a period of time. Um, and I also got very heavily involved in the people management, not so much just from the day-to-day, -day, but mm. I was like 2IC to the, the people partner. 
and I got involved in a lot of initiatives just in terms of learning development, leadership skills. Um, I travelled to the US a couple of times and got involved in broader um, Ernst & Young initiatives that were um, process and a procedure focused. So had a wonderful time at EY. Six years, KPMG for a year. Um, that was more strategic in that I was looking at, um, we actually bought a, uh, Ferriers was actually um, purchased by uh, KPMG and mm -hmm. I actually was involved in the integration of the Ferriers team into the forensic team. So there was a number of forensic consultants and some e-discovery consultants. So that was really exciting as well um, and got involved in sort of more commercial um, uh, parts of the business than just purely um, sort of matter-related work. And then an opportunity came up at Epic where I currently am, which is client, I'm a senior director in client services. So again, taking all that experience that I've had, it's a global firm, uh, there's a lot of moving parts to it. And I currently am supervising a team of project managers um, that, that deliver discovery services. And again, very much focused on Asia PAC region. And there's obviously, because we are a US firm, there's a lot of um, uh, interaction with the US. So it's sort of taken all the bits that I'd had previously and sort of meshed it into one big um, big picture. And in the meantime, what I also did was back about five years ago, six years ago, I did a coaching course, as you mentioned, because I, I just found that I was, I was loving all this people stuff. I just didn't quite have the skill set I needed. So I went off externally mm. and did, did some training and I brought that back into the workplace and meshed my passion for people, leadership, coaching into my book, which you did mention, I don't know if you can see that, um, yeah. which was, it's a bit blurry, um, which basically is a guide for women um, on how to be a leader and, and what, what are the skills you need. And it all starts with, with self-leadership. Yeah. So that is a very long-winded way of, of, of saying I've had a lot of, <laughs> lot of journeys along the way, but each one has, has sort of supplemented the next. first role that you did that was about supervising others I think it was at Qantas you mentioned mm. um, cast your mind back I guess what did that feel like for you at that moment when you stepped into the role and I guess how did you get yourself up to speed and feel confident mm. in that kind of supervisor Which, management role it, it was a leap because I was fairly new to aviation and I was certainly didn't have the ease of experience that these guys that I was managing had um, but again I I looked into myself and went they've given me this role for a reason and uh, they couldn't have given it to these other chaps. They didn't. So what is it that I've got that they perhaps didn't have? And it, again, it was that just that ability to to manage people, to manage um, uh, tasks and activities. And I think what the key to it was was not to pretend that I knew everything because clearly I didn't. It was to make sure that I was very clear to them that we're here as a team. I I can. I can help you along the way, but you're as much here to help me as I am to help you. So it was very much that understanding up front that we're all in this together and you've got skills that I don't and vice versa. And let's make them let's let's put them all together and collaborate. And and it worked. It actually worked. Mm -hmm. But part of what I didn't have was that guide, that 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 framework, that textbook um, and that's partly why I wrote my book was because mm -hmm. I thought if I'd had that book however many years ago, things would have been a lot lot easier and it wouldn't have taken as long to get where I got by yeah. sort of trial and error because there wasn't a lot of 
development of, of people back then. There was a few odd courses, a few snippets, but it wasn't all brought together. You really had to sort of learn as you went, uh, learn as you as you went. So um, it was really that being transparent, collaborating. I look back and say to myself, I was quite vulnerable. And that, that word I wouldn't have used back then, vulnerable was <laughs> weak, being weak. And vulnerability now is is is, a, is is effectively what we all need to be. But being quite transparent about why I'm here, what I can do, where I need some help, and not being afraid to ask for that help. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And what I'll do is I'll um, share a link to your book um, on the YouTube channel as well, Sarah, because it sounds like it's a fantastic resource for for managers and supervisors and, and people getting um, a little bit more detail in that area. And there's so much in your blurb that resonates with what Manager IQ is trying to do as well. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we've talked about our, our first product being the new manager development program. And for that precise reason is that we don't want people to struggle through that transition. We want them to thrive and we want them to collaborate and we want them to have this, you know, unique experience for them because their experience will be unique, but in a way that can be structured and it's got some training around it and development. So, yeah. um, I agree. I probably had a similar experience in my first supervisor management role as well. And um, it's a lot about um, your role models, I guess, the supervisors and the managers that you've got around you or trial and error. Um, uh, yes, yes. Uh, sometimes you you aren't lucky enough to have those role models. Some some jobs I was, some jobs I wasn't. Um, but yeah, it's a combination of what do you actually want to be known for? You've got to start to think about yeah. that up front, I think. And role model, if it's not in, if it's not right in front of you, find somebody external that you can role model and then you're being vulnerable and transparent and working collaboratively building up that trust mm -hmm. trust is probably the most important thing in any team you've got to build that and you you sometimes only get one go at it you know yeah. it's very very hard to build up and very easy to break and and you've really got to focus on that just doing some filming for the program yesterday and one of the things that we're doing was tips for building trust mm. uh, so I don't know if you have you know your top you know two or three tips that um that you might share about building trust with the team yeah I, I think it is all about being transparent it's so it's mm -hmm. about communication it's about being transparent um I think it's about being vulnerable yeah. um it's about being empathetic and again that wasn't something that was talked about when I first started work. You very much had a business persona yes. and you dressed up in your suit in those days. We all had suits and men wore ties and, you know, back in the day. And you, you literally, you, you didn't divulge a lot of your personal life to, you might have to your mate that was sitting next to you, but certainly broader, not at all. So yeah. I think that's changed, thankfully. You bring your whole self to work now and people expect you to be a whole person. Yeah. Um, and I think the empathy thing, probably wasn't great at that initially because I'm yeah. pretty analytical and pretty black and not black and white but that that empathy thing took me a while to work out but to me empathy is actually that bridge that enables you to see into other people's vulnerabilities so if someone is struggling mm -hmm. someone is um, saying something that maybe you can't quite understand or they're behaving in a certain way Yes, you can, you can broach that now by being empathetic and you mm. have to be empathetic. We're dealing with people, you know, at the yeah. end of the day, every organisation is dealing with people. So I think they're the things that build trust. And, mm. I, you know, a couple of people have said to me later once I've left an organisation, they're the things that they they found in me that they really appreciated as a, as a, a manager with those exact things. I didn't sugarcoat. I didn't try and BS them. We had yeah. robust discussions. If we had tiffs, 
we moved on, didn't hold grudges, all that stuff. Difficult, yeah. but simple, if you know what I'm if you know what I'm saying. There's so many things that I want to talk to you in more detail with, but I'll I'll go on the, um, the topic of this difficult conversations. Yes. Because one of the things that we that we talk about at Manager IQ is that um, you know you go into the conversation with regards to intentions, right? So it's about the other individual and having that difficult conversation, providing them with that challenging feedback is actually going to help them. That yes. this could be a defining moment in their career of something that they might need to work on or um, a perception that they didn't know was um, around about them and. If no one says anything to them, they're going to continue along that same pattern. But you could create that defining moment just by having this challenging conversation in a in a positive way that's actually going to help that individual. So we, we talk a little bit about that with Manager IQ, but I'm so glad that you brought it up. And um, I do agree that we shouldn't shy away and that we should almost step into those conversations. And like you said, you've been provided really good feedback that said that they appreciated that. Mm. And I think that's probably... Uh, one of the probably the hardest challenge of being a manager at any level, it doesn't matter if you're junior or senior, is having the tough conversations. Yeah. But there's a couple of points to that. I think, as you rightly say, you've got you've got to have them. Um, and there's a couple of things that I can talk about in a minute about that. But the second thing is it it's like a muscle. The more you do it, the stronger your muscle gets or muscles get, yeah. and the easier the conversations become. So, ad admittedly, they're really daunting to start with, but the more you have to have them and the more senior you get, the more you have to have them, um, the, the less stressful they become. And you have to do, do again, it's, I'll use the emotional intelligence thing, which is a whole other topic we could talk about for hours. But um, one of the things I have realised over the years that good leaders have and bad leaders lack is emotional intelligence. And that's mm -hmm. all about self-awareness. And yeah. that's all about understanding how your emotions impact your behaviour and how to moderate that behaviour if your emotions are taking over and yeah. then how to see in others what's going on. Um, yes. And that honestly defines a really good leader and a really poor leader. And and that that's probably one of the most interesting revelations I've had throughout the years. And I look mm. back on the leaders that I've been involved with and that is the defining point as to whether I'd say they were great or they weren't so good. I'm not too sure if you're experiencing the same thing. Um, it, it feels to me that it was so much easier when you're in the office together to get a gauge whether someone was feeling like maybe not quite themselves and you're able to then have these conversations. I feel like it's so much harder to gauge via the computer, you know, in, in Teams meetings and so forth. Have you experienced the same thing? It's funny you say that. Um, Yes and no. Um, there are there are signs. There are tr there are things that you pick up on that that they're either doing or not doing that may be a cause may be a cause for concern. Yeah. Uh, so we had I, I had a situation you know back in the day where somebody was just not on the ball anymore. They just yeah. they used to be and they just they weren't anymore. And it was simply that they felt overwhelmed. They were in a new manager role, mm. and they felt really vulnerable and really they had all these self-limiting beliefs about what they could and couldn't do and once we broached the subject things became a whole lot better but there yeah. were signs and again it was that me tapping into my emotional intelligence and going this my radar is saying there's something not right here yeah sometimes people aren't as obvious as that and that's where it gets harder when you're not in physically in an office together 
Mm. But generally there is some sort of sign that something's not quite right. Yeah, that's such that's such good comments there. And I think you're right. And it's um, what they say is like being curious and leaning in a little bit to kind of yes, understand, yes. seek to understand, I guess. Yes, yes, yes totally. Yeah. And um, you also mentioned the whole, I guess, working with people interstate, working with people globally, working across Asia Pac. Um, have you found, I guess, what are the challenges, I guess, you might face as part of working with virtual teams like that in, in different cultures? And um, the cultures are different. And, and again, you have to be very mindful that just because we're, we do that in Australia, for example, and I've actually done some a good example. I've done some training. Um, for team an APAC team and I have to be very mindful that my colleagues in Asia have a different culture and have different ways of perceiving hierarchies mm. and leadership and and then I have to sort of be very mindful of that and also encourage um, that we want them to speak out we want them to, to talk so it's very much about one size doesn't necessarily fit all you have yeah. to be mindful of that and again you have to be open transparent and bring people into the conversation make them comfortable and i had a situation recently where i knew there might be difficulty in in verbalizing people might have wanted to actually speak so we did a whole lot of stuff on the chat and that got people to, that got people talking albeit it wasn't verbal but it got the conversation going so there, there's ways of sort of working around this um mm. That's one of the challenges. I think time zones can be a challenge um, as well. Not so much in Asia, but, it, you know, I deal some days I'm dealing with the US in the morning and the UK at night and yeah. it's having the boundaries and it's it's taking time off during the day uh, yeah. to do the stuff that you perhaps, um, you know, would otherwise do at five o'clock. Yeah. So there's some boundary setting there because working at home, things are pushing out and out and out. You could sit on your computer for 18 hours a day quite easily. Um, so it's it's brought up more challenges in that regard as well. Yeah. Um, and it's brought up, some people love working from home, some people don't. So again, mm. it's just about making sure everybody's okay. Are you okay? Yeah, that's so interesting. I think what I'm picking up here is that there, even though you're working with different cultures, um, even locally, you'll be working with people who have got different styles, different ways they like to communicate, different ways they like to work. Um, so it's not necessarily about cultural differences. It's about just how people in general are different. True. Um, and I guess asking more questions and, you know, understanding more about the culture, the person, you know, whatever it might be, um, will help understand and also adapt like you did with the, you know, sending Teams message to make sure that instead as many as possible, not every person is going to receive a message or respond in the same way to the same thing. So the versatility piece is, is enormous. Um, I wonder if you face much of that in, in your experience. And it, it yes, and, and in fact, what that raises is a really crucial thing in terms of, you know, if you're a, if you're a new manager, even if you're not, you can't make assumptions about anything. You can't mm. because that's when you go off the rails and things turn a bit pear shaped. So you have to be open minded. You have to be you have to be perceiving. You, you have mm. to, this is where this emotional intelligence. Just because you're seeing something play out a certain way doesn't mean that's actually what's really going on. And yeah. that comes with, I think, experience. But don't ever assume and I've done it we've all done it oh I do it this way so everyone's going to like it that way or that's what I reckon so everyone's going to reckon the same thing I think that's the biggest 
challenge with managers is managing a team that are diverse, are different, do have different learning styles, do have different ways of um, of, of operating and, and communicating. That's probably the biggest challenge um, a leader yes. has. It's a clear challenge that you might have faced in your career, particularly which relates to management or leadership, that would be worthwhile sharing and, and I guess how you might have overcome it? Yeah, this is probably a broader comment, mm -hmm. but it has created challenges which I've had to overcome. So one of the things I worked I worked out very early on, didn't necessarily work out how to fix it, but was that <laughs> you have to have the right people on your bus with you. The, mm. the core to success for you and for your team and for your organisation is having the right people on the bus in the right seat. Seats. Yes. And then you can drive the bus in, in the direction it needs to go. And that's a whole other conversation, making sure that everyone's going in the same direction. But mm. that, that again, is probably the single most important thing as a manager. And, and as you get up the scale, it becomes even more important that you're going to have to make some really tough decisions along the way because sometimes the people on your bus are not, they're just not suited. They're just not going to work out. They're causing problems. And that's, again, where this, it, it's difficult, but you have to make the decision to move forward. Sometimes you've got to make the hard calls and the difficult conversations and, and that whole, it all sort of meshes together. So, yeah. you know, I've, I've walked into a lot of jobs where, every job, where I've inherited a team that was already there. Yeah. And sometimes those teams haven't been what's needed to get the job done or to go to the next level. Mm -hmm. And I've had to actually have those challenging conversations. I've had to rebuild teams. I've had to, unfortunately, say goodbye to people. But you know what, Lex, at the end of the day, those people are happier. They might not realise it at the time because they, they're not happy either. And you, you start to flourish, your team starts to flourish, the business starts to flourish. So yeah. that that is a challenge that one must get on top of as quickly as one can. Yeah. And it's a continual process. Just when you get your team to where you need it to be, curveball will come in, something <laughs> will throw it off base and you've, you've got to re, sort of realign. So yeah. that's probably overarching the biggest challenge that I've had and it's in every job I've had it it isn't just one role yeah. but again it gets easier over time you start to depersonalize it and and realize it is a, it's a business decision it's better for you it's better for that person or those people and it's better for the business and then it just gets momentum but without those right people on the bus yeah you're never going to get to that 100% that you really need I love the I love the idea or, of the or the concept of the bus, you know, because it makes me feel like you're, everyone is heading in the same direction. We've got a you know we've got a place that we need to get to, and you know if people are are kind of not wanting to go there, they may be weighing the bus down, perhaps. Oh, they or, do. They yeah, do. or they're saying go left, but really we should be going right. And yeah, exactly. So I really love that. And I remember I, I can't remember where I got this from, but um, it was in some training I did once upon a time. They talked about it in the space as a spaceship. You know, so everyone is on a journey. And if you have one person is not, even by one degree, you're going to overshoot the moon. 
that's you know, exactly right. Overshoot Mars, you know, so it's a, a similar yes. type of thing. And I think that's quite a powerful, um, I guess, message for everyone who, who might be watching this around how you actually help individuals understand what is the direction, yes. how we're going to get there. Are we all in this together? And if we're not, that's completely fine. Maybe there's just another opportunity either elsewhere in the organization or elsewhere for that individual. And usually I tend to find I tend to see is that people either recognize themselves because they'll feel frustrated and there'll be a values yeah. mismatch. Or what will happen is that someone might need to shine the light on it and, and right. let them understand. And that's the role as manager, I think. And that's a tough role, um, yeah. but it's absolutely necessary. If, that, if you were to ask me what's the most mm -hmm. important, that's probably getting that part right is the most important. Um, and then the bus that you're on has to be going in the direction. And again, no assumptions about does everyone understand? Some people don't necessarily understand the objective mm. or the direction or the goal or where they fit in uh, that. And it's your job then to say, we're on this journey, going this direction, and this is what we expect from you. And this is yeah. how we're going to actually give you the feedback. And this is how we're going to measure your performance. So yeah. it's very, very clear that now we've got the GPS, we've set the coordinates, and we're all going in the same direction. Yeah, fabulous. I love that. I love that. And any other hot tips? I feel like you've given so many already, but any general hot tips that you'd want to share with the manager community? I think I think one of them is that there's probably not there wouldn't be one circumstance that someone else hasn't already experienced. So when you're on your on your, your journey, and it doesn't matter again what level you're at, you're going to strike scenarios where you're you're out of your depth. You're feeling like you're uh, you just don't know what to do. Don't be afraid to ask for help. And remember, you don't have to have the answer to everything. Mm. You just need to know where to go for the answer. So that's yeah. that's number one tip, I think. You'll hear voices in your head going, I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I'm going to mm. fail at this. All those self-limiting beliefs, um, we all have them. The imposter syndrome, I got here, I'm a fraud, all that stuff. Again, quite natural. You've just got to recognise it. And seek assistance. You know, if it's really bogging you down and you're really doubting yourself, get mm -hmm. seek assistance. Find a mentor. Find someone in the business that you can use as a role model. Go external to the business. Yeah. Uh, don't do it on your own. It would be a would be one of the things I'd say. I yeah. think resilience is something that's really important, and a lot of that comes with this emotional intelligence. Um, again, it's a muscle that you build up over time. Um, yeah that you won't necessarily be 101% resilient on day one. It, it, again, it's a journey to get there. It's um, it's about what triggers you. It's about understanding what's important. Don't hold on to the stuff that's not important. Don't hold grudge, all that stuff that we could, you know, talk about for ages. <laughs> um, and I'm just trying to think if there's any other tips. They're probably the main ones. Um, don't go it alone. I think that I, I probably suffered a lot, did things that, not suffered, but took a long time to do things that I should have done quicker because I just didn't have mentors. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have a, a role model that was supportive. You've got to have that support. That's really, really important. Yeah, fantastic. I love those tips. And, you know, this, um, this I guess, self-talk in your mind, um, I'm not so sure if you came across it, but it was something that came up um, in my newsfeed, I think, and they talked about the words that you say to yourself, if you actually say them out loud as if you were saying it to somebody else, would you ever say that stuff? Yeah, you that's know, like you know, like you're not good enough. You're not this. You're not that. Um, you do too much of that. Whatever the words are, and yes. when you start to think about it, like, oh my gosh, why would I do it to myself? Yes, uh, that's right. But you, you know, know, we're our own worst enemy. We're our own worst critic. We really yeah. are. We really yeah. are. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Earlier when we were giving the introduction that, um, you know, you are a professional coach and so forth. So what we might do is we'll, we'll grab your details of some way that um, individuals who might have really resonated with what you're saying so they can get in contact with you. And um, or is it, what's the best way? Is it LinkedIn to get? LinkedIn is probably the easiest. Yes. Okay. Um, on my LinkedIn page, just particularly women, because I've been there, I've done that. I know the challenges just because I've been around a while doesn't mean that anything's different. The same issues are are still there with, with junior yeah. women particularly. Um, and we're all here, here to help each other. That's yes. that's really, I think the key is, is women supporting women as well. Yeah, well, fantastic, Sarah. I just think that you've shared a wealth of knowledge um, to the manager community. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll continue to have these um, interviews with other managers and hear their tips as well. But thank you so much and have a wonderful day and week. Thank you, pleasure, Lex, lovely to speak to you. Hi everyone, wow, what a great, fantastic conversation. If you wanna hear more, please subscribe to our YouTube channel where we'll be sharing more of these um, quite frequently. If you're looking for a new manager development program, please hold, also hit up on our website where you'll be able to find the link to that as well. Thanks very much, have a good day.